Good morning. How are you all? I realized right in this second right now that I have uh, actually not pulled up any notes that I wrote. So I'm going to do that real quick. Um, if you guys could bear with me one second. Uh, there it is. But before I do that, um, you guys good? Happy Father's Day. Well, that was lame. Happy Father's Day. I, uh, I want to honor in the kingdom. It's not what I'm talking about, but honor in the kingdom is very, very important. I believe that uh, honor actually opens heaven, opens the heavens. And so I want to I wanna honor you today, Dad, on Father's Day. I know you may not enjoy this in front of everyone. He's, very, he's, he's genuinely humble. He's not one of the people that's, you know, false humble. He's actually humble. And, um, but I want to thank you. Obviously, I think if anyone knows our family for more than five minutes, we all love you and mom very much. We all have great honor for you in our hearts. But I want to thank you today for the way you have been a father to um, myself um, and the whole family. After you and mom got saved, the rest of our family got saved. All the extended family got saved after them, one by one. I want to thank you for loving mom. Amen. The way you do. He says it's difficult. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah, it's okay. I needed to laugh a little bit. He's, he's just kidding. Relax. I look forward to your emails. Um, but I want to thank you for loving mom. I want to thank you for... Just being a father to many families that didn't have fathers and to many churches now that don't have fathers. There's many churches all over this country and Canada that literally wouldn't exist without my mother and father. And there's many apostolic couples like that. There's another one there, Alex and Rossi. But I, I just want to honor you and thank you. And um, we have, I have friends. I grew up with some, a real rough crowd. And some of those guys have, as adults, come back and said that they learned what it was to be in a family because of them. And you know what it's like when you grow up and then you realize, gee, I had really good friends, but I think they were actually hanging around me because they needed some, so much from my mom and dad. So I just want to thank you. I wonder if you guys could just stand really quick. I know you, you can both stand. Yeah. Good. Thank you. Yeah. You know, honor is healthy. Honor is healthy. So I encourage you today to take a moment to honor your father. If he is not with you, if the relationship is tense, if you have been disappointed, if there has been struggle, the Bible says to honor your mother and father, for it will go well with you. You don't have to honor what they've done. If there's, I, I know someone whose father was a pedophile, sorry to say. And they're like, how do I honor him? I'm like, you don't have to honor what he's done or what the enemy's done to him. But without him, you wouldn't be here. Hello. So it's healthy to give honor. So, happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to everyone, but mostly to the Lord. He is the father of us all. He really, really is. So, I wonder if you could turn in your Bibles. Today, we launched a series a while ago. I say we, it was me, but we got into a series a while ago uh, called The Building Blocks for Partnership with God. And as we started that, it was actually what I'm getting into today that the Lord actually put on my heart. And so we're going to touch on some things, and some of them may be a little sensitive, and, and, but we're going to go forth from here and have uh, barbecues and enjoy Father's Day. But I encourage you to open your hearts and, and hear a little bit of what the Word of the Lord says about some of these things. But the Lord put it on my heart to talk a little bit about some of the things in our day. And I'm not going to get too much into them, maybe a little bit more next week. But the Lord is actually longing for partnership. More than we could, I think, fathom and understand. There are many things that 
don't actually take place on the earth that are the Lord's will to take place, but no one partnered with him. Bring your Bibles. We can have a discussion about it. The Lord had to bring three, which was most, well, actually, we don't know if it was three, but the wise men from the east, because the Old Testament declares that the Messiah will be made known, in a sense, from the heavens, from the sky. But astronomy is great, but astrology, yes, I understand astrology has its roots in the occult. But just because the enemies twisted something doesn't mean the Lord didn't make it. Hello. And so the Hebrews or Jews in that day, none of them partnered with the word of the Lord and actually began to study the stars in the heavens because it was taboo or not good. So like no one touched it to such a degree that when the Old Testament declares that the heavens will declare the Messiah, none of them partnered with that word. So the Lord has to go outside of his people and bring people from the east to actually tell people the star says he's coming. So it's like that today. The Lord is looking for partnership, practical partnership on the earth to bring about his plans, his will, his justice, his judgment, absolutely. But he looks for partnership. And I know that God is sovereign. I know that he is in control. I know that he is in charge. But sometimes it's an easy thing when it's just, when times are tough, we just, well, God's in, it's like we sweep it under the mat. But what if there's times where God is actually looking for partnership? And he wants to partner with you. He wants to bring change on the earth. And he wants to use his people. All through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, he uses people. So, we are living in a day, if you can go to uh, Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59 is an interesting text. It's not actually what we're looking at today. But I want to pick it up in verse 14. It starts with how God's people have sinned and fallen away from the Lord. It's very Old Testament. And the Lord, you know, but he's going to come and redeem. But it gives a description of what their day was like. How many times have you read the Bible? This is how you, the word of God is still alive. You know, I can read something from thousands of years ago, and it literally describes what we're living in today. Because it's living. How's this? Justice. Now, things weren't going well in the nation or at the time. And this is the result. Justice is turned back. And righteousness stands afar off. For truth is fallen in the street. Does that sound familiar? Truth is fallen in the street. And equity, that's a buzzword, equity cannot enter. So truth fails. How's that? And he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. He who basically stands for righteousness and justice will become pursued for destruction by those, by the rest of the culture. Does that sound familiar? Is it, am I, is it just me? Then it says, Then the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. And he saw that there was no man. And wondered where there was, why there was no intercessor. Huh, that's partnership. Therefore his own arm, now this is a prophetic declaration talking about the Messiah coming. The Bible says your own arm cannot save you, but Jesus is different. It says his own arm brought salvation for him. And his own righteousness, it sustained him. And he put on righteousness as a breastplate. How many of you know that the armor of God, which we're going to look at later, is actually in the Old Testament? This is the original armor of God. And it's in the Old Testament talking about Jesus and what he wore in the spirit. He put on, a righteousness, he put on righteousness as a breastplate, the helmet of salvation on his head, and he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as with a cloak. And according to their deeds, accordingly he will repay, now he's talking about the end, fury to his adversaries. Now that's no longer people. Hello? You know, sometimes the Psalms, we have to understand, we read the New Testament, we read the Old Testament with New Testament lenses. The Bible says, Lord, kick my enemies in their mouth. Kick them, smash their teeth in their mouth. And as a teenager, I'm like, yeah. And then I'm like, oh, it, like I can't do that. 
It doesn't mean that. All right? Fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies, the coastlands he will fully repay, repay so they... So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. In other words, from the east. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. Right? And the Redeemer will come to Zion, or the church, and to, and to those who turn from transgression in Jacob, says the Lord. As for me, says the Lord, this is my covenant with them. First requirement of partnership is covenant. My spirit who is upon you and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth. It means you have to say it, not just think it. Nor from the mouth of your descendants, nor from the mouth of your descendants' descendants, says the Lord from this time. But let's go back to verse 14. Justice is turned back. Righteousness stands afar off. For truth is fallen in the street and equity cannot enter, so truth fails. What is the nature of truth? Truth makes free. Truth sets free. Truth makes you at liberty. But truth fails, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Now, I'm going to do something that is maybe a little bit dangerous, but I'm okay with it. Equity. <laughs> yeah, you know. No, I'm not. I'm not <laughs> Equity is a word right now that's everywhere. Diversity, equity, inclusivity. There's even a department in the government that is now has to manage that. The word equity in the Bible actually means uprightness, honesty, integrity. That's what it means. Now, when you're talking about equality, there's a big difference. And now we're talking a little bit more politics. Equality of opportunity versus equity of outcome. Equality of opportunity is based actually on biblical principles. It was Jesus, Jesus, the original liberator, who came and said, it's no longer man nor slave, it's man and woman, old and young, slave and free. It's all the same in God's eyes. He equalized everything. But equal opportunity is wonderful. But equity, meaning equal outcome, sounds nice. Please hear me. It is an appalling doctrine. Because equal outcome means everything must be equalized. Mm -hmm. Everything. And every board, you have to have one person of every race. But the Bible says there's no difference. You have to have different expressions, to, uh, whatever they want to equalize it by. Who gets to determine that? Who gets to determine what needs to be equalized and how much? And who gets to say who's who? <laughs> See how quiet it is in here. When equity, as it's been spoken of today, if that continues to be put in place, it cannot, by definition, lead to strength. It cannot. Why? Because in order to equalize, you cannot be, it cannot be those who have a position or those who have a seat or those who have a spot on the team. It cannot be based on competence and hard work and skill or talent or difference or creativity or ingenuity or education. You can have all those things, but if there's too many of you, then you have to leave. And someone who does not can do what that person can do, they get put in for equity. Because you have to equalize everything. And it removes incentive, like socialism. It removes incentive. It removes natural competition. It removes a good old-fashioned thing of hard work. It removes, it, it takes it all away. And so what happens is you're going to have, a, you have, again, either a very, very big government or a small group of people, which is already happening in some circles, determining who does what. So if it's no longer about competence, so who gets to make that decision? It must all be equal. It was, what was that thing? Um, 
he said to me, my wife and I tell the boys all the, t all the time, uh, fair doesn't mean equal, because you're different. Doesn't mean you get exactly the same in everything, because you're different people. We give you what you need. That's in the Bible. Equity is a good word. The rainbow is good. Amen. But now it's been stolen. That doesn't mean I'm mad at people. And just by the way, that rainbow, gay pride rainbow, I don't know what all the letters are, has six colors. Six is the number of man. God's rainbow has seven. Amen. Seven is the number of God. So I'm not just being political. Please understand me. I, if you know me at all, I don't do this. But there comes a time when we need to stand ground without being positioned against a single person. Because equity sounds nice. Equality of opportunity is marvelous. It's marvelous. And it should be like that. But you cannot have equity, which is forcing everything to be equal in terms of on the outcome, without absolute control. Why don't we equalize the NBA? It should be that pretty much the best athletes, most likely the tallest, you know, you want the best guys playing. You don't want, well, we need one of this, and one of that, and one of this, and one of this, and there's a whole team of excellent people sitting there. They can play. It doesn't lead to strength. If I was in a foxhole, or if I was on the battlefield, and I knew that there was a sniper looking over me, I want to know that sniper is there because he's the best. Not because something had to be equalized, and he doesn't even want to be a sniper. Well, we need someone who looks like you, or who talks like you, or thinks like you, or comes from where there. We need that person. So you need to be, I don't, I, I'm not good at it. Doesn't matter. It must be equal. Uh, please hear me. I, I know I'm standing on toes. It's a good heart. It's actually a good heart. Equal opportunity. It comes from a good heart. But the practice, outwardly, only leads to absolute control. Because who gets to decide who does what? I've lost some friends. That's okay. My wife still loves me. Equity doesn't lead to strength, friends. Can I read you something? Someone say yes, because I asked. Because where does it stop? Where does it stop? Tennessee, I watch a lot of state hearings and Senate hearings, and I, sometimes I shouldn't, but I watch them to actually know what's going on, not just to listen to what someone tells me. So I'm going to just read you this. It's safer <laughs> than to comment on it. Tennessee State House Health Committee hearing on the bill concerning gender-affirming care for minors. There is a claim within the trans community, please let me say this, I have not a single issue against any person in that community. Not a one. I actually love them. I mean that. If you know me, you know it's real. But we're talking about society here. The claim within the trans community that doing one of the following three things, chemical castration, drugs, surgery, or hormonal intervention, there's a claim that doing these, this comes, I literally transcribed this myself from a Senate hearing, from actual professionals. The claim that doing... Uh, one of these three things is what helps prevent suicide or has positive psychological effects down the line for a trans person is utterly baseless. There are no credible long-term studies that bear that claim out. That would be impossible considering society has never before in human history done this to children. And if they have, it has never been on this scale. The current crop of children have become guinea pigs. This is all experimental. The number of trans-identified youth has skyrocketed exponentially up to 20, 30, and 40x times growth than ever before. And the claim is that there have always been this many, but they were not in an affirming environment, so they were hiding. If that's the case, that there have always been these millions of trans people in hiding, 
And if it was also true that we are not affirming them, and that's what leads to high suicidality rate, then we should be able to look back in history and find an unbroken, incredible epidemic, an unbroken chain of children mysteriously killing themselves in the millions, but this has not happened, it never has happened. In fact, it's quite the opposite. If you were to look at a curve graph of the exponential climb in trans-identified youth, which is not them, they're not bad, it's not even, it's no one's fault, it's definitely not their issue, it's other people, those in authority, if you were to see a curve graph of the exponential climb in trans-identified youth, that curve matches the recent climb in youth suicide rate. They match. The highest suicide rate in any community by far is the trans community, mostly from those who have had surgery and a few years later. It's almost close to 50%. The human brain does not even fully develop until 25. There is no area of life that we trust a child with a long-term decision, not even what they choose for college. But we are saying that they need care that can change their body forever when they're a child. Uh-uh. It's wicked. It is. But, how do we stand for truth and righteousness in our day when those who oppose what we see as truth and righteousness are believing in all their heart that they're doing something with a good heart? You can't make them your fight. This is the difficult part of Christianity. Because I have found the church often responds mostly in, in a general two ways. Obviously, none of you. You guys are all perfect. But everybody else. In kind of two ways. One of them, they just kind of ignore it. Just let's worship kind of us four in the church and no more. We're just going to, it's just us and Jesus. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to deal with it. Just leave me alone till I worship. That's one way. The other way is worship whatever. All they do is talk about it. And so you can get some good stuff done. You can even do some good political things. But what starts to happen is when that stops, the way you do it changes. Now you do it, but you look nothing like the Lord. But God has called these people to shine in the darkness. God has called these people to proclaim truth. God has called these people to actually demonstrate God's love. In other words, I call it the God type of love. Love that has no condition attached. Loving you when you're hurting me. But God has also called us to stand for righteousness and justice. The Bible says that is the foundation of his throne. His government is from righteousness and justice. So the good news is we can stand for righteousness and justice and truth. And at the same time, love all people. We can we can't. People are like, look at me like I'm crazy. However, there will come a time, which has come, where no matter how much love in your heart you have for a person, your stance for, for truth, for righteousness and justice, according to the word, as we read, will make you a target for them to destroy. Even though you will stand there with love in your heart, you're not, you don't have a single issue with, the diff, with a single person, but you're looking at the future generation, you're looking at where this thing's going, looking, there are people even probably in this room from other countries that have seen this before, and they've seen 30 years down the track. That's why they left that place. And so you can stand there with love in your heart, genuinely almost pleading, saying, please hear us. The Bible says, when the truth fails, now truth in a sense never fails, but when the truth has fallen in the street, and what is actually truth is no longer truth, Isaiah chapter 5, they will put light for darkness, bitter for sweet, good for evil, it's switched around, then those who make a stand, no matter how loving they do it, they will become prey. 
So, <laughs> happy Father's Day. <laughs> Amen, let's go home. No, no, no. So, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about standing your ground. Because the way we do it matters, friends. The way we do it matters. All of that we've talked about, all the different building blocks for partnership with God, praise, prayer, strengthening yourself in the Lord. These are things that matter. They matter. <laughs> Can you go to 2 Samuel chapter 23, please, if those of you have a Bible. I want to talk to you a little bit about, firstly, about team, and, and then we're going to look at some other things. 2 Samuel 23 says, these are the names. Now, if you remember, I know it was actually eight weeks ago. It's like the never-ending series. But we originally started looking at building blocks that we're taking from David's life. He launched something, the Tabernacle of David, musical praise and worship for the first time ever on the earth for 33 years. It became a building block which sustained his government, the covenant that God made with him. Of your government, it will never end. But what was undergirding that was musical praise and worship. He learned to inquire of the Lord as a priest. Remember? Put on the ephod. He put on the ephod of the high priest and went to inquire of the Lord. So he had these building blocks that now he comes and he's living in a time where everything's changing. The government was up for discussion because the first king, the Saul was the first king, taking the children for army. Everything's changing. Everything's shifting. Much like some of us feel now. Everything, it, it, it seems like I can't, you can't keep up. Every week there's a new letter Every second week, there's a new buzzword. It's, you can't keep up. And if you don't devote your whole life to this keeping up, you just, in a sense, will be cancelled. Sometimes it'd just be easier to be cancelled, you know? But so here, we see this next, what I call a tool of David, is that he developed a team. It says, these are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Stop. Talk to you a little bit about team. If a person is going to make a stand, I encourage you, and I'm not talking about going out there and on Facebook and social media and shouting and screaming. I'm not talking about that. In fact, probably stop doing that. But it's when things come, what do I do? Do I speak truth? With love, obviously with love. Do I stand up for righteousness? Do I, or do I just kind of try to ignore it because I don't want to be in the firing line? There comes a time when we just have to stand. And it's very fitting that we're talking about this on Father's Day. Fathers are built this way. And team, if you're going to make a stand, I encourage you, don't stand alone. The Bible says... He who isolates himself rages against wise judgment. We all need a team. We all need a tribe. The original team is called family. That came from God. That's his idea. And before family, marriage. That's the original team. Many people don't feel like it's a team, though. And sometimes broken families destroy that. But throughout the Bible, I encourage you, if you're going to take a stand for truth, for justice, no matter how strong and wonderful you are, you must have a team. I have, in, to some degree, not done this well in some aspects. Because I've always just, you know, I'll just be in the Lord and I'm going to stand and even if I die. It's a great heart, but you get less done. We need a team. Jesus had a team. We all know this. We've heard this. David had a team of mighty men that were actually rather terrifying. I mean, you know how many people I've heard that talk to me about the closeness of this sense of tribe, this band of brothers, especially men that they struggle to find in the church? Is it, was it just me? Apparently. Who struggled? Let's be real. Oh, yeah. Why? Well, when I was growing up, I had this group of guys, and we were, we were, what's the, we were tight. I don't think that's like an old school word, but I don't know. 
We did everything together, and I mean everything. Like, we got in trouble together. We almost got arrested together. Some of them did get arrested. Like, we were interesting guys sometimes, ruffians from the other side of town. Parents that loved us, they all were in our house. What is sad to me is one of the greatest senses of togetherness I ever felt was with them. Because I knew, without a shadow of a doubt, if anything happens, they got my back. It wasn't about even if I was right or wrong. <laughs> and that was the bad side of it. They're like, even if I did everything wrong, they didn't care about that. They cared about, don't touch him. And you don't find that often in the church. <laughs> because where the church gets legalistic, it celebrates behavior above relationship. And it's difficult to find a band of brothers where you can never make mistakes if behavior is the mark instead of relationship. Man, the disciples messed up in front of Jesus. But he loved him. You think these David's mighty men were the kind that one of them walked in here and probably scared the life out of you? Probably half-dressed, whole bunch of weapons, maybe a horn of wine in his hand, but he built the kingdom with David. Fun day. Uh, these things are real. It has to become real. Where you can, in God's house, find a band of brothers that doesn't say, just go ahead, we'll support whatever you do. I'm not saying that. They got your back. They're going to hold you to account. But when the enemy comes after you, it's not going to be like, well, you deserve it. It's gonna, you can't touch him because he's, he's with us. This is absolutely essential. There is so much friendly fire in God's house today that one of the reasons that people don't take a stand for anything is because they know they've got history. And when they do that, someone's going to go into their history, find it, and tell everyone. And then the church will be like, well, that guy's like, he's a bad sinner. So no one takes a stand because they're afraid of what everyone will find out. Huh. It's interesting being up here today. Friends, God's team, what does it say? It says, These were the heads of the mighty men whom David had, who strengthened, 1 Chronicles 11, strengthened themselves with him in his kingdom with all Israel to make him king according to the word of the Lord concerning Israel. A God team is built on the word of the Lord. It is built on, in a sense, the kingdom. Not a gift, not a person, not even a person's call. Yes, they were... A team to him to make him king. Why though? According to the word of the Lord for Israel. A kingdom heart is required. Not a church heart. A kingdom heart. To be part of a team that can actually do something in the house of the Lord. A kingdom or a God team is also built on the freedom for those people in that team to be themselves. See, David's men, I believed, all knew they could celebrate individual greatness, individual expression. You know, God gives, there's so much false humility in the church. God has put a desire for significance in your heart. It comes from the Lord. Yes, the enemy can twist it. But that desire comes from the Lord. And these men knew, I can stand and be great. Their exploits are known because they saw someone who became known by not wearing Saul's armor. By not being cookie-cutter. By not just, I'll just do the thing, be like a good little church boy. He said, no, no, I didn't wear Saul's armor. That's why Goliath, which means splendor, that's why he was destroyed. And so they knew, we can join this guy's team. He's not going to cookie cut us. We're going to be encouraged to be ourselves, make mistakes, yes, but for the kingdom of God. Amen. That's missing in the church in many places. And I will tell you, your team is not real unless it's been tested. And I, I want to take a moment to honor the team at this church. Last year they were tested because I was struggling. I was. 
spiritually flying. Physically fine, health fine, my wife and I, everything. But emotionally, I was absolutely finished. I, there were times when, as recent as last year, I'd be praying for people, we saw people, I mean, power, literally power, like they said, it felt like lightning. People hit down, the power of God, people getting healed, people getting delivered, and all of that's going on, and I'm ministering, and I'd sit down on the chair, and in a sense in my heart, just be like, I don't care. I mean, I cared, I loved the Lord, but I just had this, just when can I go home? Because you emotionally spent. And it was the team at this church that let us go on a sabbatical. And friends, this church did not skip a beat. Not because of me, because of a team. And so I want to honor the elders of this church. Kevin, Josh, Tommy, can you guys stand? And Dwayne's not here, he's with the kids. Taking way too long to stand, I'm just saying. And, and there are many, thanks guys, and there are many others. I mean, I look at Don. I, I don't want to start going around because then, you know, you leave someone out, you get in trouble. If that's a test, pass it. But Don, Steve, Bill LaRock, Aaron, guys that just showed up, man. For months, my father and mother took care of business while I was, we were gone. It was just, that's a team. And it was tested because I was struggling. And I, I had allowed myself to become emotionally unhealthy and it crept up in me. And I, Sam. And it crept up on me. And all of a sudden, I'm like, I'm just spent. If you're going to take a stand, you must have a team. You must have a team. The staff in this church, Cynthia, I mean all of them, that's this, this wonderful. So, I think I've made the point on team. Find a tribe, find a team. Don't set parameters around it. Don't cookie cut it. Be open, be vulnerable. Let them see some ugly. Then you'll know if they, they love you with the love of the Lord. Hello? Yeah. All right, now let's go back to the story. We actually haven't started. Let's start talking about this guy. So, standing your ground when all others run. You're in 2 Samuel 23. I'm going to read this. It says here, These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Joshua, Basha, Beth. Huh. The Tachmanite. Didn't think I'd be able to say that. Uh, chief among the captains. He was called Adino the Esnite the, the because he had killed 800 men at one time. And after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo. <laughs> I just, that name is a great name. Uh, but it's actually Dodai in, in the Hebrew. The Aohite, one of the three mighty men with David. Can we say with David? When they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle. And the men of Israel had retreated. He arose and attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand stuck. Can you pass me the two swords there, please, Marie? I brought some swords, actual swords. These aren't toys, so... Uh, they're actually sharp, real swords, so please don't play with them. Um, <laughs> that's going to be interesting. But he, he arose, it says, and he fought until it's Father's Day. So I thought, yeah, great. <laughs> until, and if you've ever worked, I've experienced this obviously to a much smaller degree. When I've worked outside in the yard or in the garden with actual, you know, old school tools, rakes and stuff, it's so hard that when I try to take my... Oh, actually, I need to be careful. This thing's like super sharp. So, so hard that when I've tried to take my hand off, it, it like, I have to unpeel it. Who's ever experienced this? Yeah, we all know. So that times a lot. And he says, um, it says here, his hand claved to the sword... The Lord brought about a great victory that day, and the people returned after him only to plunder. Let's read it in the Chronicles version. 1 Chronicles 11, verse 10. Now these were the heads of the mighty men whom David had, who strengthened themselves with him in his kingdom, with all Israel to make him king according to the word of the Lord concerning Israel. And this is the number of the mighty men whom David had, Jashobim, the son of Hachmanite. Chief of the captains, he had lifted up his spear against 300, it was actually 800 in the Hebrew, 800, and killed him at one time. That's a lot of people. 
That's almost as many as Samson, who was supernaturally empowered. He killed a thousand. Think about it. After him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the Elohite, who was one of the three mighty men. He was with David. See this? He was with David at Pastamim. Now the Philistines, they gathered for battle. There was a piece of ground full of barley. And so the people fled from the Philistines. But they, do you say Philistines, Philistines? Philistines. Okay, thank you. But they stationed themselves in the middle of that field and defended it and killed the Philistines. Steens. Steens. It's from South Africa, it's Philistines. So they defended it and killed the Philistines. And so the Lord brought about a great victory. Standing your ground when all others run. Now, can I take a little bit of poetic license here? Here's a guy. They gather for battle. David the king, it says he was with David. So him and David, they were together. Okay? And they running. It says all the Israelites fled. So they're running. The Philistines come for battle, and they start to run. And all of a sudden, this guy, Eleazar, comes to a barley field and stops in his tracks in a sense, and turns around and looks at them and says, no further. Why? What happened? Well, that place is where Goliath fell. You can go do the study. You'll see it. I'm right. That's where Goliath fell. He didn't just have an affinity for barley. It's like, man, this barley, mm mm-mm. No, there was a giant that was killed there. And it's actually a big deal. It's a really big deal. It's like in his mind, he said, this is where a boy defeated a giant whose name was Splendor. And he realizes he's standing on ground of the victory of his king. Who is with him? And he turns around and he, in a sense, says to the enemy, That's enough. Have you ever been to that place in your heart where it's not flesh reaction, it's a righteousness, and it rises up and you just say, That's enough. I will not allow you to steal from my family, from God's people, from your life. Stop. Your life. You're done. Something comes up and you get. That's enough. That's what it takes to stand your ground. If it's just because you don't want your lifestyle to be changed with all that's going on, if it's just inconvenient, it will not last. It must be a conviction. But what is the conviction based on? Three things. Where they stood belonged to Israel based on God's promises to Israel. It was God's promise to them. Psalm 125 says, For the scepter of the righteous will not, uh, the scepter of the wicked will not rule in the land allotted to the righteous. So he says, You, you, I'm fighting you. This is ground God called us to. God gave us this. Right? That's what was in his mind. God gave us this. And I'm remembering that now because the second thing we need is actually to stand. On the victory of our king. See friends, we have to become convinced about what happened on the cross. Because it was on the cross that all the splendor, Goliath means splendor, all the splendor of the enemy was decimated. If when you're fighting things, we're not fighting people, we're fighting which we'll talk about maybe, hopefully, about the armor of God. When you're fighting In the spirit, when you're fighting things, yes, it may come through people, but they're not your fight. You have to learn, we have to learn, you don't fight for victory, you fight from victory. If we don't know what it is to stand and recognize Jesus paid for this. Jesus died for this. Jesus paid for that. Like actually in scripture. And stand in a place. We have the word of the Lord. The promise of God. He's standing. This ground doesn't belong to you. 
He's standing with that. He's standing with the authority of covenant. That's why David looked at Goliath and said, you uncircumcised Philistine. It wasn't just because it's a nasty thing to call people. I used to call my friends that sometimes. <laughs> it was because circumcision was a sign of covenant. At that, for them at that day. And it's like, you have no covenant with God. How dare you speak to God's people like this? So when we choose to stand our ground, we need a team. But please hear me. It has to be based on God's word in a sense in general. But I would say also specifically to you. Do you have a conviction of God's word? Because you will stand on that. It has to be, you have to stand on that. And on the victory of your king, what happened at the cross, that's the basis of your fight. And because you have authority as a child of God, why? Because you have a covenant. Otherwise, the fight will become fleshly. Very quickly. It will become about you and your preferences and your wants. And it won't stay the kingdom. The kingdom, the kingdom. I can love you, but this is the truth. It says, he arose. And by the way, the place where they fought, it literally means the cessation of blood. In other words, where no more blood was needed. That's the cross. That's the name of the place where he made, he made a stand. And so, it says, he arose. Something rose up in his heart that said enough. But then it says this. But they stationed themselves in the middle of the field. So again, poetic license. It seems to say that everyone was running, even David. The one who slain his tens of thousands. But this man stood up and said, enemy, that's enough. That's enough. And it's like it activated David. That's not someone the enemy once activated. Even though all the mighty men were afraid of him. It's like someone went to him and goes, activate. And now David turns, recognizes where he stands. And now your enemy looks into the eyes of the king who destroyed your greatest champion. That is what it's like with us sometimes. Not that Jesus ever runs. But friends, there are times. And we are in one now. Where the Lord is with you, even when you're running, He's with you. He's with you. He loves you. And He waits for you, by faith, to take a stand. And when you do, so does He. It's called partnership. You choose to take a stand. And now all of a sudden... The enemy is looking to the eyes who is one whose eyes like fire. And that's why you win. Because of who stands with you. It has to actually not just be a good sermon. It has to be real in our day. Please hear me. You can't just fight for America. Mm-hmm. It's like, man, he's really picking them today. Because America, I love this nation. But America was birthed, yes, on Judeo-Christian values, but it was birthed because of people had an absolute passion for what is in here. And because of the commitment to what's in here, America became something that was built on the foundations of the truth of the Lord. So what happens is now people have grown up in America and they start fighting for that. I'm here to tell you, it may not work. You have to go back and fight for the very values and principles on here that started that. Otherwise, it's just political. It has to be here, friends. This has power, authority, all of it in here. And if it's just about political, it's over before you start. The values, it's not just American, it was what does this say? What does this say about children? 
You know that I've prayed for some of the policymakers because the Bible says, Jesus said, better for you that a millstone would be hung around your neck and thrown in the river than you cause one of these little children to stumble. And so actually have compassion on them. So you don't know what firestorm you're bringing down on your life and your generational line by what you're doing to children. Pray for them. Take a stand. They stationed. He arose, but they stationed themselves. You know the power of the one. Just the one. When I got saved, we're not going to really get onto the armor of the Lord today. Apparently. We'll do it next week. It's such a big deal. Look, it, just to make all the men happy. I bought a Roman gladius as well. This is Damascus steel, like a Roman sword. Also, really sharp, so let's put that away. <laughs> but... When I got saved, I just disappeared for six months from all these guys that were my brothers. And I went back to each of their houses one day, in one day, just drove from one to the next. And three out of the four said the same thing to me. In every place I went, there was drugs, there was a party, there was something. And I kind of showed up and they kicked everyone out. And three of them said, not the same words, but similar thing. When I started to tell them, I'm with the Lord. I love you, but I'm... My life is his. Three of them started to cry. Separate, you know, separate. And they said, we used to pray and ask the Lord for you to give your heart to him so you could help us. What? When one person says, God, I'm with you and doesn't hold God, like, you know, but I'm only with you if you do what I want you to do, Lord. It's actually the other way around. That's why I love Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You, O king, the Lord has the ability to save us out of the fire, but if he doesn't, we'll go in any way. Because you're standing for righteousness and for justice. So, I was going to, it's like dangerous to leave it here because you guys are going to go out and maybe cause some trouble. But the whole point was Ephesians 6, I'll just read it. It says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So your might won't help you. Your greatness, your wonderful talents. No, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Then it tells you how. Put on the whole armor of God. Then it tells you why. And this putting on the armor of God is not a prayer. Please hear me. Do that. That's great. But that's not what it means. Why? That you may be able to stand against, like Eleazar. The wiles. That word wiles is the methodoia in the Greek. It means methods. The methods of the enemy. You know the Bible says the enemy has methods? And the Bible says the enemy has doctrines. He has belief systems. We're seeing some of them now. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. It's not going and looking for a fight. It's me loving the Lord, but when something comes, I'm ready. I'm not looking for fights. And then he says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Please hear me. People are not your fight. Sometimes they're involved in it, but they're not the focus of it. That song, O Holy Night, for the slave, he is your brother. They're bound. They're doing their job. You are called to set them free. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So therefore, take up the whole armor of God 
that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. The word stand is like a couple times. So it's probably a big deal. It talks about principalities. That word is ark in the Greek. Like ark, like archangel. They're not archangels, but it's that. that like a prince power, ark. It talks about um, rulers of the darkness of this age. You know what that word rulers is? Kosmokratos in the Greek. Cosmic strength. And it says of darkness. That word darkness is the same word. I shared this with people last night. As when it talks about the prince of the air. In Colossians. It talks about, uh, is it Colossians? I think so. The prince of the air who blinds the minds of unbelievers. Lest the light of the glory of the gospel of Christ should shine on them. But it keeps them in darkness. That scripture is the same. Darkness. Skotos. It says, it's just told us that there are spiritual beings that the enemy has put in high places that have been charged with one thing. Keeping people's minds blinded. That's their only job. Rulers of the darkness of what age? This age. Not the age when they fought flesh and blood. This age. The church age. When the gospel has come to the earth, the spirit has come to the earth, to empower those who believe in the Lord, to change them into the image of Christ, so when they proclaim the gospel, the original power of the gospel, which pushed out all other false gods, can come back to a nation. But it says these, these rulers, these cosmic strength, cosmic things, they sit above in high places and make sure that people's minds and cultures exist on the earth that keep people blinded to the truth. To such a degree that when you stand, you will become prey. So, we'll talk about that next week. But people are not our fight. Please hear me. They're not. But there will come a time when you just have to settle in your heart that when you stand for truth, some people will just not like you. They will judge you. They will hurt you. They will come against you. And the armor of God is actually so much in there. The Roman shield, by the way, which is a picture of, they used to soak it in water before a battle, for a couple days sometimes, that it says the shield of faith would distinguish the flaming darts of the enemy, the flaming arrows, hot with lies, hot with reputational destruction, hot with whatever. And it says, what distinguishes them? A shield. Why? Because in a sense, they used to soak it in water. When you saturate yourself in the presence of God, because you've developed tools of intercession, of inquiring of the Lord, you've, de you've developed praise, you've developed worship, you've got these tools, so you're going to partner with the Lord, so you saturate yourself in the presence of the Lord. And so as the hot arrows come, as they hit the shield of faith, what is faith? The conviction of things I can't see. I am so convinced, convinced with what I can't see. And because of that, I saturate myself in his presence. And those, those lies and those things which fly at us all day, they start to just fizzle out. Because I've quenched the fiery darts of the evil one. But then every once in a while, one gets through. And that's how you need the word. The word to do some surgery. <sighs> I encourage you to ask the Lord, what is my barley field? What's your field of barley? Well, you say, no more. That's enough. What is it for you? What point does it have to get to where you actually say to the Lord, I need to take a stand, but I don't know how? 
I need to stand for truth, but I don't know what to say. When do you stand for your marriage? And recognize that your spouse is not the problem, and probably neither are you. The enemy hates marriage, because it's the original team. For children in your generation, this child, the children of this generation are literally an experiment of the enemy, and the church has largely done nothing. What will it take? We need wisdom in our day, friends. Because how, we need to stand, but how, that matters too. That matters too. So that you can win those who are blinded along the way. Ask the Lord, today, tomorrow, what's my body field? You can't fight everything. You'll kill yourself, you exhaust yourself. Who's my team? Who's my tribe? It took me too long to see who those were actually who were for me. Not those who praised me. Those who were actually for me. And I thank Todd for being part of that. Who's your tribe? It can't all be the lead guy. <laughs> Some of you really don't want to know me that well, I can tell you. I'm not always pleasant. You have to break that mindset so that the people of God can arise. Amen? Amen. Why don't we stand? Dad, can you come pray for us to close? Even though right now I serve as the leader here, because they planted, he will actually always be the father of this house. That's how it works, like, you know? Fathers don't change. That's something else that's being challenged, just so you know. They don't change. If you can just close your eyes, not because it's spiritual, just to focus. Before I pray, if you can just please just take 10 seconds. Just think about what's been said. Father, I thank you that you are the great mighty warrior. And as has been said, we don't fight for victory. We come from a place of what you've done, victory. And it's like today we draw a line in the sand and say, no more. I don't know why, but I need to just to say, in the name of Jesus, the young people that are part of this fellowship, we will fight for. We will fight for, Lord, that the lie of the enemy does not penetrate, that the confusion that is out there does not take hold. We will love the young people you've given us. We will. We thank you. We thank you for them. Thank you for your word today. Thank you. Let it sink deep in us, Father. In the name of Jesus. Amen. I just want to tell you a simple story to end with. Back in South Africa, we had a season when Michelle were lead and I were, we had a number of young girls. When I say young, I'm talking 15, 16, 17, 18. Just for a short period of time, we had a number of these young girls come for so whatever reason. Was, they were inviting their friends. And for some reason, one Sunday, I got them all to stand up in the front. And I got all the leaders to stand behind them. And I said, we will not control you, but we will make sure that a wolf doesn't come in here to try and devour you. You must know we will protect you without controlling you. We had a number of those young girls come and thank us afterwards.
That's how I feel about our kids today. As we were praising and worshipping us, all these young girls on this side, just the way they were so free and enjoying themselves. Just to praise in their own style, in their own way, and with fun. and Just warm my heart to see kids being kids. Amen. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for Father's Day. And may we enjoy the rest of the day as we celebrate fatherhood. Amen. Wonderful. Sorry, John. Amen. You can keep that one. All right. Quickly, we did have a, a raffle for uh, Amazon gift cards that, that the children could enter for their fathers today. And we do have two winners. And the first is uh, Keith Kissel because he gives great hugs. And so I don't know where you are, Keith. Yes, that's what their child said. And uh, Daniel Tobin is very generous, and so now he's going to get some money to spend too. Uh, if you'd like prayer for anything, we'll have a ministry team over here. Otherwise, go have a wonderful Father's Day, and we'll see you next week.